0: Last time on Poetry P, we looked at how haiku poetry came to Europe. What haiku in the German-speaking region looked like from inception to the Second World War. And today, we're going to see what influenced haiku in the German-speaking arena from the Second World War onwards. We'll see a huge jump in its evolution. And of course, listen to haiku poetry poetry that will inspire you to write your own. I'm Patricia, and this is the Poetry P podcast. Welcome. And before we head over to Germany, Austria, and my corner of the world, Switzerland, I have a quick reminder for you. If you're listening on the day of publication, you have only one day left to get your split sequences to me get cracking. Otherwise, if you're a little bit later, go and check the submission diary and see what we're up to. There's usually something going on. Also, before we go on, have a think about this. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and and give us a like, give us a review. And if it's YouTube, make a comment on the podcast itself this will honestly help other poets to find us. We all want to spread the word about haiku and the joy of writing it, don't we? Don't we? Now, let's visit the German-speaking world and hear some haiku through the ages in German and English, with apologies for my horrendous German accent. If you'd like to read the essay that goes with these two episodes about German haiku, I will be publishing it. Make sure you're on our mailing list so you get to know when it's out. And of course, there will be other opportunities sent to you via the mailing list. Last time on the podcast, I left you dangling with the Austrian sinologist Anna von Rotteusche's book, Ihr Gelbem Chrysanthemum. Remember, that's a book of translations of the Japanese masters that came out at quite possibly the worst time. 1939, Germany. I don't need to tell you why that was a terrible time. Let's remind ourselves of one of the poems translated from the Japanese into German by von Rotteusche. And then, of course, there'll be an English translation. And if you're listening to this on audio, I just remind you that there will be a workshop on the Poetry P channel, and of course, that's going to have slides. (inaudible) Flog da ein welches Blatt zurück zu seinem Zweige. Ach nein, es war ein Schmetterling. Flog da ein weiches Blatt zurück zu seinem Zweige. Ach nein, es war ein Schmetterling. And that, if you remember from last time, is Moritake, translated by Rock Toisha. And of course, we have an English translation by David Laspina. Fallen blossom, returning to the branch. Ah no, a butterfly. Fallen blossom, returning to the branch. Ah no, a butterfly. Now, Bonrothaisha, it's been suggested, had a dual purpose with this book. On the one hand, as a sinologist, she was translating the work of Japanese masters for education, for her own purposes. But on the other hand, it's been suggested that Irgelbum Chrysanthemum was part of the literature of the inner emigration. So she was expressing an opinion. Now, this body of work in the inner immigration movement was considered to be the work of creatives who took an attitude that was critical or even hostile toward National Socialism. These creatives were unable to or didn't want to leave Germany during the time of the Second World War. Their work, though, was often sidelined. Potentially worse, but luckily for von Rotteuscher, her book was subtle in its approach and not so well-known at the time. Rotteusche's translations didn't concentrate on the syllable count. Overtly, she was taken by the element of nature in haiku and saw the poems in terms of seasons. Her translations are written in three lines, in a free form, and in her book, they're divided on a seasonal basis. Almost a quarter of the translations that she made by Basho. And it's in her thoughts on him and his poetry that we can perhaps derive the biggest clues that her work belonged in this inner immigration canon. She sees Basho as a wandering monk, a spiritual man who's turned his back on the world to concentrate on his experience of nature. Further evidence of her subtle criticism of National Socialism was her choice of haiku, many of which, at least in her translations, concentrated on the spiritual or on loneliness. Often this loneliness expressed in spiritual terms. Her book and its translations suggest that nature is idyllic, that a spiritual outlook in combination with nature is the ideal which contrasts with the events in and around her homeland. You know, the industrial efforts for the war, destruction of people and places, a lack of empathy in society for the spiritual. Here's another one. Viel Vergessenes kommt vor die Seele wieder, wenn die Kirschbaume blühen. Viel Vergessenes kommt vor die Seele wieder, wenn die Kirschbaume blühen. And that's another Basho translation which, if you'd like to hear it in English, is this one. When the cherry trees blossom, many memories return to the soul. When the cherry trees blossom, many memories return to the soul. And I've translated it, I hope, in the spirit of von Rotthuis's translation. But I have another one for you. And this one was by Jane and She, of course, is translating straight from Basho without the intervention of the German. Many various things come to mind, cherry blossoms. Many various things come to mind, cherry blossoms. And another one, Basho translated by von Rotteuscher. Welch unendliche Einsamkeit, nur das Sirpen der Sikaden, Drink durch den felsen welch unendliche einsamkeit nur das Sörpen der Zicaden Drink durch den felsen what infinite loneliness only the chirping of the cicadas penetrates the rock what infinite loneliness only the chirping of the cicadas penetrates the rock That one again by me, translated by me. Loneliness seeping into the rock, Circada's voice. Loneliness seeping into the rock, Circada's voice. Another translation by Jane Reichold. In my translations, which are a translation of von Rothreusche's German, you can see the spin she's giving to her translation. Her choice of words in both these translations are more spiritual or highlight the loneliness more than Reichhold's. Of course, Reichhold is coming directly from the Japanese. I thought that was quite interesting. So how did this book influence haiku writers after the war? We shall see. Margret Burscheper credited the beginning of the next period of haiku development in the German region as the publication of Der Schmale Weg, 200 dreiseilige Gedichte, The Narrow Way, 203-line poems. And this book was by the Austrian Karl Kleinschmidt, and it was published in 1953. Kleinschmidt followed the example set in von Rottäusch's book of translation. His poems were written in three lines, in a free form, and used seasonal references. Einsamer Birche, goldenes Laub, weiße Wolken im Blauen, schmale Weg ins Unendliche. Einsamer Birche, goldenes Laub, weiße Wolke im Blauen, Schmale weg ins Unendliche. And I've translated it as Lonely Birch, golden leaves, white clouds in the blue, narrow path to infinity. Lonely Birch, golden leaves, white clouds in the blue, narrow path to infinity. Now, there was another poet influenced by von Rottertäuscher, and this was a Swiss one, Flandrina von Salis. Er blühende Rose, nie zu fassendes Wunder, göttliches Ahnen. Er blühende Rose, nie zu fassendes Wunder, göttliches Ahnen. Flandrina von Salis. And an English version, Blooming Rose, a miracle that can never be grasped, the foreshadowing of the divine. Blooming Rose, a miracle that can never be grasped, the foreshadowing of the divine. That was translated by P. and H. Massey. Now in this one, you can see that von Silas has been inspired by nature, as well as the spiritual as per von translations. But I have another one for you. And in this one, she has put more emphasis on nature rather than the divine. And look what, oh, look what we can see. Well, listen, and you might be able to hear it. The 575 form has appeared. And this one's from her book, Moonbluten. Bleigrauer Himmel und nichts als eine Möwe, als silberner Pfeil. Bleigrauer Himmel und nichts als eine Möwe, als silberner Pfeil. And in English? lead gray sky and nothing but a seagull as a silver arrow. Lead gray sky and nothing but a seagull as a silver arrow. Look, there's a bit of a no-no in that one, isn't there? Simile. But we'll forgive her. It was 1955, after all. The 575 form, which I hope you heard in this poem, this form is going to be cemented in a book often recognised as a major influence in the development of German haiku. Emma von Bodmullhof's Haiku, and that was published in 1962. I've got some poems from that book for you. Das alte Mühlrad vom Wasser hell übersprüht. Es dreht sich wieder. Das alte Mühlrad vom Wasser hell übersprüht. Es dreht sich wieder. And in English, bright water sprays over the old mill wheel it turns again bright water sprays over the old mill wheel it turns again Von mushoff's work generally uses a 575 structure in the writing of haiku she came to the conclusion that in der zahl 17 ist ein kraft enthalten die durch nichts anderes zu ersetzen ist That is, in the number 17, there is a power that cannot be replaced by anything else. I know there are other poets out there who feel that way about the traditional form. Now, von Bodmershoff's work speaks of nature, often featuring a season, and you can hear a cut in her work, at least mostly. We would certainly recognize it as haiku. It did have an impact on the haiku written in Germany between 1962 and 2004. Can you believe it? Such a period of time. Unterm Schnee friert der Feuerbaum und verliert sein Rot im Weißen Moor. Unterm Schnee der Feuerbaum und verliert sein Rot im Weißen Moor. That's by Karl Heinz Kurtz. And in English, the flame tree freezes under the snow and loses its red in the white moor. The flame tree freezes under the snow and loses its red in the white moor. So in this poem, in the German version, you can see traces of von Bodmershof's influence the 575 form the seasonal word and i think you can hear the cut even though it's in the middle of the second line just a little pause between Feuerpalm palm and und could just be my ear though karlheinz kurtz was inspired to write haiku because of his travels he often traveled in japan apparently and He was instrumental in the setting up of the German haiku society in 1988. In this haiku by Uli Becker, which was published in the 1980s, he uses the honkadori technique to allude not to a Japanese poem, but to that of a poem by William Carlos Williams. This is just to say, could this be evidence that the German scene is now reaching out to influences outside its borders? Ihr er Kuss ein Echo der Pflaumen aus dem Eischränk, so süß und so kalt Ihr er Kuss ein Echo der Pflaumen aus dem Eischränk, so süß und so kalt and that's from his book Fräulein Butterfly the sixty nine haiku and in English her kiss an echo of the plums from the fridge so sweet and so cold. Her kiss and echo of the plums from the fridge, so sweet and so cold. And if you're not familiar with William Carlos Williams's poem, this is just to say, here it is. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox, and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me, They were delicious, so sweet and so cold. Great honkadori there from Uli Becker. In 1988, the German Haiku Society with its quarterly journal of Haiku was formed with Margaret Huer as its first president. She retained this presidency for 15 years. Can you imagine, 15 years which Klaus Dieter Werth suggests was significant in the evolution of haiku in the German-speaking arena. He suggests that during this period, the German haiku world of the society was rather secluded, failing to take on board work that was taking place internationally, failing even to work alongside German Japanologists of the day. Now, I cannot attest to the truth of this, but what I can tell you is that in the main, between 1962 and 2004, haiku poets writing in German, or writing for a German-speaking readership, I should say, tended to more or less keep to the traditional 575 form. Martin Berner, taking up the quarterly journal in 2004, appears to open a discussion with the members of the German Haiku Society as to what should be considered the haiku form he goes so far as to say was ich ablehne das sind dogmen what i reject are dogmas now on taking up post martin berner and his colleagues worked hard to change things for example they changed the name of the quarterly journal to zomagras and the new journal accepted a wider variation of haiku There were fears at the time that these changes of outlook may result in a decline of membership of the German Haiku Society. Nonetheless, Martin Berner forged ahead and cemented international contacts that he and one of his colleagues from the Frankfurt Haiku Group had been developing. He even instigated the first European Haiku Festival, which took place in Germany in 2005. Shall we have a look at some Haiku from the German Haiku Quarterly Journal in March 2004 before the change in outlook? Karfreitagwetter, sonnig und klar. Das Kreuz wirft mächtige Schatten. Karfreitagwetter, sonnig und klar. Das Kreuz wirft mächtige Schatten. And that's by Conrad Neeson in 2004. And an English version for you. Good Friday weather, sunny and clear. The cross throws powerful shadows. Good Friday weather, sunny and clear. The cross throws powerful shadows. Now, if you look at this poem in the German and analyze its content and structure, you can still see the influence of the 17-syllable 575 form. And I don't know about you, but the poem looks and feels a little bit forced to me, particularly with the way it's punctuated. So in the first line, there are five syllables. Ka, Freitag, Wetter. Car Freitag, Wetter. There are seven in the second line. Sonnig und klar. Full stop. Das Kreuz wirft. Sonnig und klar. Full stop. Das Kreuz wirft. And then the final line, another five. Mächtige Schatten. The poet, Mieson, has punctuated the poem and structured the content to fit this form. Today, we'd probably say to him, have another look at the poem. Write a freestyle. And I wonder, would he have chosen his words differently? The style of von Bodmushoff's haiku is evident in this poem. And you can also see the influence of von Rotheusch's translations in the chosen topic of his poem. Misen is not von Rotheusch's wandering monk, but he is the spectator at a religious event and combining nature with a connection to religion. So the spiritualism is coming through as well. Reading this, one of the last German haiku society journals prior to its name change and the official change in outlook, you'll find that the majority of the short poetry within it are the traditional form, often forced into that form with punctuation. But things were changing. Bleibt todernst, trotz meiner Grimasen, die Nachrichtensprecherin. Bleibt todernst, trotz meiner Grimasen, die Nachrichtensprecherin. And that's by Daniel Dolchner in 2004. Translated into English. Remaining Deadly Serious Despite My Grimaces, The Lady Newsreader. Remaining Deadly Serious Despite My Grimaces, The Lady Newsreader. And Martin Berner wrote his own haiku in this journal, which clearly signals to his readers the possibility of that change in outlook, away from the stilted traditional model. Frühlings Morgan. Leicht die Treppe steigen. Frühlingsmorgen, leicht die Treppe steigen. Martin Berner, 2004. And in English, we translate it something like, spring morning, lightly climbing the stairs. Spring morning, lightly climbing the stairs. What do you think of his play on words? a spring in your step. I thought it was positively charming. So Martin Berner, he's making these changes. And eventually in 2009, he hands over the society to new blood. He'd achieved a level of understanding with the membership so that it no longer rejected freestyle haiku. I wonder how far he was aided in that quest by the possibilities of exchanging ideas by the internet. And what part did the European Union and Germany's emigration policy play in bringing new ideas into the German-speaking region's haiku? For whatever reason, it's around this time that German haiku took a leap in its evolution. I have some final examples for you. Spätherbst, schwere Tautropfen auf den Gresen. Spätherbst, schwere tautropfen auf den Gräsen. And that's by a poet we hear often on Poetry P, Deborah Karl Brand. And it was in Autumn Moon in 2023. Translated like this Late autumn, dew drops heavy on grass blades. Late autumn, Dewdrops heavy on grass blades. And this one by Martin Berner again, also from 2023, but this time from the German online journal Chrysanthemum. Kriegsnachrichten. Ein Milanpaar paar sieht seine Kreise. Kriegsnachrichten. Ein milan sieht seine Kreise. War news. A pair of kites makes its rounds. War news. A pair of kites makes its rounds. Nessun Doma. Der Tenner schraubt sich in den Beifall. Nessun Doma. Der Tenner schraubt sich in den Beifall. Friedrich Winzer, also from Chrysanthemum in 2023. Translated, Nessen Dorme, the tenor spirals into the applause. Nessen Dorma, the tenor spirals into the applause. I wonder what our trio of ladies, von Rottteuscher, von Bodmershof und Frau Boyerschape, would think of these new poems. Sticking with the idea of translation, the word essay from the French, what does it mean? Well, in case you don't know, it means to try. And I've tried to show the evolution of German haiku since its arrival in European shores. Have I answered my initial questions over the last two podcasts? just to remind you. When did haiku come to Europe? How did it evolve in Germany specifically? What did it look like in the various stages of its evolution? And what influenced its evolution? In some respects, I think I have answered the questions, but in the way of researching something, I'm left with even more questions. A curiosity to delve deeper into certain matters. What role does history have on the development of a creative form? Why are certain ideas or certain genres such as haiku taken up at a particular time? What is the impetus? Are creative forms influenced by a national psyche? Does such a thing even exist? If a national psyche exists, what difference does history, the coming of the internet, or mass immigration mean to it in terms of creation, in creative forms, that is? And what role does a translator play in the evolution of a form such as haiku? Now, Michel de Montaigne, the French essayist, felt that humankind does not operate in certainties. And I think that rather than give you certainties today, I've given you a curiosity to explore with or without me the form haiku takes, where your ideas of haiku come from, and what influences the form your haiku take. If you have answers to those questions or even more questions, perhaps you'll share them with me. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed the ideas and the poetry. And a quick reminder, you still have a little time, not much, a little time to write your split sequences collaboratively or with haiku friends and get them to meet by the 31st of January 2024. Unless, of course, you're coming late, in which case you have no time. Please go and check what else we're doing. If you could support the work the podcast does with a donation, or by signing up for one of our membership schemes. I'd be awfully grateful. Details are on the website. Do let me know what you thought of the podcast, and more importantly, let other people know. And as I said at the beginning, one of the best ways is to write a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, or by leaving a comment on our YouTube podcast. All of that help people to find us and join in our writing and discussions. Don't be a stranger. Do email me with your thoughts on all matters haiku. Till next time, keep writing. You will find bits and pieces in the show notes. If there's something missing, you know what you have to do. Just tap me out an email on your computer or your phone, and I'll get back to you. Ciao!